Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning and we rejoice. You are the King of kings and the President of presidents. Your majesty, we rejoice to come to you. We rejoice to be ruled by you. And Lord, we pray that you would come quickly. God, I pray that now as we turn to your word, you'd open our minds and open our hearts and help us to be changed by it to become the men and women of God you have created us to be. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Apparently, Jesus' enemies understood Jesus better than his disciples did. It did not take long for the Jewish leaders to gain a keen desire to kill the upstart rabbi who would not play nice with the religious bosses of the day. Finally, enough was enough. Raising people from the dead, embarrassing the elite religious lawyers, upsetting the temple trade, and making the fatal mistake of allowing people to call him the Christ. Aha! The Jewish leaders finally had him on a charge the Romans could not ignore. The Christ is a king. We'll tell Pilate he claims to be a king. He has to put that man of questionable birth on the cross now. But Pilate understood what was going on. Jealousy. Jesus was taking people away from their little religious game. They were getting less money. Pilate was thoroughly immersed in the realpolitik of the day, and he did not mind shoving a little bit of manure back in the face of the Sanhedrin. So, he wanted to let Jesus go. But it was not to be. In his efforts, he made a final, last appeal to the crowd who were gathered around him, and he said, Behold, your king! Now, perhaps Pilate only half-heartedly tried to get Jesus out of hot water off the cross. Half-heartedly or not, it simply was not to be. The Jewish leaders in Jerusalem wanted him dead for trespassing on their prerogative. More importantly, God the Father in heaven wanted him dead on the cross as our substitute. Pilate's words, Behold, look, pay attention, your king, was very appropriate. To the Jewish leaders, Pilate's words, Look at your king, ah, he's pathetic. To God the Father, Pilate's words, Look at your king, yes, he is the Lamb of God and the King of kings. And to you and me, Grace, Pilate's words, Behold, your king. He is the Christ. He is the God-anointed prophet to speak to you. He is the God-anointed priest to forgive your sins. And He is the God-anointed king to guide you into the kingdom of God's undeserved power to accomplish all that He has for God's glory, for your joy, and for the growth of His kingdom. Praise Jesus. And behold your king. We're back in Mark. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
the Son of God. Now, though these words, Behold your King, are not recorded in Mark's Gospel, they do summarize nicely a major emphasis of the letter to us. Jesus is our prophet, our priest, and our king, which is why today we look at the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ. More than the Son of God, more than the Son of Man, more than any other designation, Jesus is described as the Christ. Paul vacillates between Christ Jesus and Jesus Christ. But the point is that Christ is the almost universal designation in the New Testament of Jesus of Nazareth. It's used in every single letter of the New Testament except 3 John, which never mentions Jesus at all. As a side note, we won't talk very much this morning about Jesus per se, although a whole sermon could be given on that for sure. But we're not because Mark doesn't. If you want to know more about his story as a human being, you need to go to the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. Instead, one important way of seeing the Gospel of Mark is to note the development of the disciples until they recognize Jesus as the Christ and come to understand what Christ means. So, what does Christ mean? To answer that question, we need to go to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there are various little c Christ. There are various little m messiahs. Those are the same meaning, the same word. One is Greek, one is Hebrew. And generally speaking, a messiah is one anointed by God for a specific task. Not to oversimplify, but those tasks that God anoints people for can be roughly summed up in prophet, priest, and king. Prophets were the lowercase m messiahs. They were anointed by God to speak to us for God. Priests were the lowercase m messiahs anointed by God to speak to God for us. And kings were the lowercase m messiahs anointed by God to rule the nations. Now let's take a brief time to point out in general how Jesus fulfills the offices. Ironically, though Jesus is clearly the one who came as the prophet like Moses, none of the Gospels really emphasize that, certainly not Mark. Wayne Grudem offers two thoughts as to why this might be true. The first is that Jesus is the one of whom the prophecies were made. In other words, Jesus isn't called a prophet because he is the one the prophets pointed to. In Matthew, we see Jesus as a prophet in chapter 5, where he repeatedly says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. He's forth telling God's word. Jesus did not so much claim to be a prophet. He simply acted like a prophet, and the gospel writers assumed that we would connect the dots. The second reason Grudem points out why the Gospels do not emphasize the fact that Jesus is the prophet is that Jesus himself is the revelation. In other words, when Elijah, for example, spoke, he gave the message from God to Israel. 
But when God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus Himself was the message. The beginning of Hebrews tells us this. Long ago and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things and through whom He created the world. Clearly, from each of the Gospels, Jesus is our Messiah. He is our Christ. He is the anointed prophet. But that really isn't the main emphasis. We also find that Jesus is our Christ. He is our anointed high priest. Again, Hebrews fleshes this truth out in greatest detail. We see him as the perfect and final sacrifice for our sin. We see Jesus as the one who went into the presence of God the Father. And we see that Jesus continually prays for us in the Father's presence. Clearly, Jesus is our Christ, our anointed high priest. And this too is not the main emphasis of the Gospel of Mark. And lastly, we see that Jesus is the Christ. He is our anointed King. Jesus came to inaugurate the kingdom of God. And we find one of the prophecies of this coming Davidic King in Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah writes, Behold, pay attention, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king, and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Clearly, Jesus is the Davidic king. And, as we will see, this was the primary expectation in first century Israel about the Messiah. But note carefully, Jesus did not come to fulfill their or our expectations of the Davidic king. He came to fulfill the expectation of God the Father. And as we come to Mark, we see Jesus as the anointed king. We see one whose kingdom is not yet of this world. Don't forget to bear this in mind as you behold your king. Your king's kingdom right now is in your heart. You are right now his ambassador. You have the privilege, you have the responsibility to spread his message far and wide. Praise Jesus. So now, as we have discovered this, let's remember where we are. We are at the very beginning of the good news of Mark. And we are in the second sermon in our series on Mark. Last time we talked about what the gospel is. This time we're going to talk about what Jesus Christ is. And next time we're going to talk about who he is as the Son of God. And we will find today that Jesus is portrayed in Mark as our prophet, our priest, and our king. Right here in the beginning, Mark 1.1. In the beginning, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the big idea is the one I've been repeating already so far. Behold your king. This big idea will help us to capture the point Mark wants us to make as he identifies the Christ by what Jesus does. Mark wants us to identify Jesus as the Christ 
so that his readers, you and I, will note who Jesus is by what he does, his attitudes and actions. And as we take notice, we will worship. Beholding the king is worshiping the king. Worship the king. So let's look at Jesus as our prophet, priest, and king in the Gospel of Mark. I'm going to look at verse 13, 21. Jesus says, And then if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. Wow. I have got to say, this particular verse is very relevant for us today. All of the uncertainty that has always existed has been thrown front and center in our consciousness. It's all over the news. It's all over the country. It's all over the world. And many Christians are hoping for an escape. It's the end times. Jesus is just around the corner. Well, perhaps... I certainly hope so. Lord Jesus, come quickly. But note carefully what Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. The end of all things is near. Therefore, escape social strife and climb Orcutt Hill, wear a white robe and say, Om. Either that, or we'll take Peter's advice and we'll pray and love. Look with me again at 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. In Mark 13, we see Christ preeminently as a prophet. Now don't forget, a prophet is one who both foretells and forth tells. The prophet does sometimes indeed tell the, the future as Jesus does in Mark 13, but the primary job of the prophet is to foretell what God wants his people to know or to do or to believe. The prophet is God's mouthpiece, and the reason he tells the future is twofold. One, so that we will know that the prophet speaking is in fact God's messenger. We will know he is if the things he foretells Come to pass. But two, the reason the prophets speak of the future is so that we will be encouraged, so that we will not lose heart in face of the trials that will inevitably come to God's people. Bear with me for a moment as I unpack this in Romans 14, 15, 4 through 6. Paul writes, For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instructions. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want you to note carefully in this passage what 
Paul gives as his point regarding the Scriptures, regarding the Bible. The Bible was written to give you endurance and encouragement. And you and I are to use this gift of endurance and encouragement so that you and I will live in harmony with our church family. This living in harmony will then cause people around us to glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, if you read Mark chapter 13, or Matthew 24 and 25, or Daniel, or Revelation, the main point, the big idea you should get as you read these, what you should come away with is God wins. Behold, the King of kings and Lord of lords, God wins. Therefore, because I am looking at my king and I know that God wins, therefore I can be encouraged to love my near ones with great endurance. Because as my near ones see me love with great endurance, many will praise Jesus and they will all behold our king. So behold, look, see, pay attention. Look at the Gospel of Mark and behold your King. Your King, Jesus, is the Christ. He is the anointed prophet. And as such, we know that when He makes a statement about the future, He is correct. And what we also know is that His statements about the future means that He is in control of the future. Are you nervous about your future? Are you unsettled? Fret not. Consistently, as we read prophecy in the New Testament, we can be sure, we can be absolutely sure of one thing. God wins. Therefore, pay attention to your king. Jesus of Nazareth is our Christ. He is our anointed prophet, and He is our priest. I get this in among many places in Mark 14, 61. But He remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest, Caiaphas in this case, asked Him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Now, you've got to laugh at this. This is actually a little bit funny. There is enormous irony here. Irony in the first degree. The high priest... Caiaphas stands before the highest priest and questions him. And as prophesied, prophesied by Isaiah chapter 53, Jesus is silent. He has nothing to say to Caiaphas. Had Caiaphas wanted to know the truth, Jesus would have certainly spoken it to him. But Caiaphas had proven by three years of silence he had no such intention. So again... Jesus is silent. And this scene here is significant to Mark. Caiaphas questions exactly Mark's primary contention that the gospel is that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that the fact that Jesus is the Christ, He is the Son of God, is the good news. Caiaphas, the human high priest, should have known and should have been the first and greatest evangelist. 
But he rejected the gospel not only for himself, but also symbolically for the nation. And irony of ironies. At the same time, Caiaphas, through his actions, through his attitude, made the good news possible by sending the highest priest, Jesus, to the cross. And it's because Jesus went to the cross that you and I can behold our God. When we look at our Messiah, when we look at our Christ, when we look at Jesus, we will see the highest priest who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Hebrews, once again, chapter 12 says this time, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Remember that endurance in Romans 15? and despising his shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Look to Jesus. Consider Jesus. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. He is your Christ. He is your anointed high priest. And so you can take your eyes off of Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, which is just filled with garbage right now anyways, and put your eyes back on Jesus. Behold your King! Jesus is our Christ, our anointed prophet, Jesus is our Christ. He is our anointed priest. And Jesus is our prophet, our Christ. He is our anointed king as well. I get this from one of the confusing passages in Mark. Mark 12, verse 35. Jesus taught them in the temple and he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is, how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. If you want a little more information than I'm going to give right now about this, go to my devotion that I gave on Thursday last week. If not, wait till we get to Mark 12. But here's a couple things you need to understand. The Jews in the Old Testament understood the Messiah Christ image vaguely. I imagine they understood it probably very much like the church understands the end times today. There is certainly evidence to consider. There is truth, and it is important truth. But godly people disagree on what it all means. Had you pressed the Bible-believing, Yahweh-honoring Torah scholars of the day, they probably would have come up with the idea that the Messiah is some combination of prophet, priest, and king. Perhaps. But by the time we get to the first century Israel, every mother's child sees the Messiah always and only through the understanding of a Davidic king. A Gentile defeating, temple restoring monarch who would throw off repression and usher in a time of Jewish ascendancy was the Messiah. That is what he would do. But Jesus' point is to establish the fact that that was not the Messiah's job. Yet. Which brings us to one of the minor themes of Mark. The Messianic secret. The Messianic secret is the name that scholars give to the tendency Jesus had to go around doing miracles and then tell the people that he helped to keep their big mouths shut about it. 
What's that all about? Well, let's look at, it, at one example. In Mark 1, starting verse 40, a leper came up to Jesus, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. He was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and said to him at once, he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But the leper went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. So what's this messianic secret all about? Well, the answer is right there in the text. Jesus could no longer empty enter a town, and people were coming out to him from every quarter. Jesus got no peace. Jesus was not able to preach the power, catch this, he was not able to preach the power of the coming kingdom because everyone wanted a now kingdom to oust the Romans. Anybody identify with that? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Jesus did want everyone to know that he was the Messiah. Jesus wanted everyone to understand what the Messiah meant. But they simply would not understand if they hadn't had their preconceptions shaped by the attitudes and actions of Jesus over a three-year period. Jesus will return as the conquering king. He is, after all, the Messiah Christ. But not yet. The kingdom Jesus came to establish is small. It fits into our heart. And planted in good soil, it grows a hundredfold. Which brings us to the central passage in Mark. Central in terms of almost equal amount before and after. And central in terms of the idea. And that idea is that Jesus is the Christ. I start reading at Mark 8.27. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on his way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. Notice in this passage that the people who see Jesus believe him to be a prophet. His speaking and his healings have convinced him that he is in fact a divine messenger. Okay, that's nice. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But what does that do for us, Jesus? What we really want right now is a king. Are you going to drive the Romans out now? But good old Pete. Pete has an inkling. Pete may not even know where it comes from, but he knows that Jesus is the Christ. Whoa, now it's out on the table. Now Jesus, at least to his disciples, is known. But what does it mean? This confession has to have some flesh on it. This confession must be based upon what happened in the previous seven and a half chapters. This confession is why Mark wrote his gospel. 
Hang in here with me just for a moment. Mark chapter 1, Jesus is the prophet. He heals and preaches the kingdom. Mark chapter 2, Jesus is a priest. He heals and forgives. And he is a prophet, priest, and king as he claims to be Lord of the Sabbath. Mark chapter 3, Jesus is the king. He has authority over demons. Mark chapter 4, Jesus is a prophet when he preaches the parable of the kingdoms. Mark chapter 5, Jesus is again king as he banishes the demons and destroys the herd of swine. Mark chapter 6, Jesus is a prophet. He heals illnesses. He is a priest as he feeds 5,000, even though they try to make him king. Jesus is a king in that he demonstrates authority over water by walking on it. Jesus is a prophet as he again preaches and heals. Mark chapter 7, Jesus is a king in all that he rules over traditions and Gentiles. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus is the prophet, priest, and king as he feeds 4,000. And Jesus is a prophet when he puts the Pharisees in his place. Now, Pete, now, Grace, now that you know this, now that you've seen Jesus' attitudes and actions, you can say Jesus is the Christ. So it is that Jesus can give Peter and you and me the option of describing him as the Christ. Now that you've experienced this and heard all this in my private words to you, now you may call me the Christ. But note also, now, now I must march to Jerusalem to prove to you what I am all about. Now I assume the role of priest as I tell you I will be sacrificed on the cross. Now I assume the role of prophet as I rebuke your foolishness. And now I assume the role of a king by commanding you that you too are to take up your cross and follow me. Now, with this understanding, we could understand the gospel the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So grace, what does it mean that Jesus is the Christ? It means that he is God's anointed. That Jesus is specially set apart to be our prophet, to be our priest, and to be our king. And we find that Jesus fully expects that both he and those he leads will face the same persecution that prophets, priests, and kings had faced in the Old Testament. You cannot travel far down the road before the Jewish leaders want to hang you on a cross. You cannot follow far down the road before the secular materialists want to hang you on a cross. You cannot travel far down the road of discipleship and not see that the world is separated fundamentally on one question. Will you persecute or will you bless those who take the name of Christ? Which is exactly why Jesus says in Mark 9.41, Truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to the Christ will by no means lose his reward. Let us not lose the context of this statement. Let us not lose the vision of the big idea of the Gospel of Mark altogether. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, accompanies His disciples to glory through suffering. And it's this journey 
to glory through suffering, which, makes, which is why you must behold your king. You must constantly be looking to your king. Because you will suffer, keep your eyes on Jesus. Go through, mark yourself. Don't depend on me. Behold Jesus as he interacts with those near him, how he gently heals the widow and the outcast, and how he roughly embraces the religious bosses. See how he is the prophet who will speak truth to your life that is surrounded by lies. See how he is the priest who bears away the penalty of your sin that's enveloping you like with death. See how he is the king who rightly rules over your decisions crushed by the atmosphere of hate all around you right now. Behold. Look. See. Pay attention to your King in the Gospel of Marks. See that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He is the King of kings and President of presidents. Because as you know Him better, you will therefore love Him and trust Him more. And you will long even more to behold your King. O King, Your Majesty, We humble ourselves before you and we ask, Jesus, that you would forgive us for our sins, that you would point out to us those things we need to repent of so that we can have a clearer vision of you. Open up your word to us so that in it we will see the King and we will give you glory. Bless us, Jesus, so that we will be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.